Welcome back to the PetSat podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Dr. Ivan Sack. I steady stalked Ivan's progress with SmartFlow for quite some time before we actually got to meet at Vet Forum in Portugal in 2018. Ivan is a vet with an incredible backstory and career, including establishing a reference laboratory in Moscow, followed by a stint as an emergency vet before founding SmartFlow, which was acquired by IDEX, where Ivan served as Director of Veterinary Software and Services. He is now CEO of Veterinary Integration Solutions, providing an operating system for veterinary consolidators. He is also co-host of Consolidate That and, of course, the ever-popular Veterinary Innovation Podcast, on which I actually made my podcast debut. So welcome, Ivan, and thanks for that. Hi, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. So, Ivan, today uh, we're going to talk about a, a subject that I know you've not only is close to your heart, but you've actually done real academic study on, um, burnout. So for our listeners, could we start by just defining, you know, what burnout is precisely? So, uh, you know, there's there's a couple of definitions. I think that the uh, what I like is the distinction between the two because uh, a lot of people use interchangeably compassion fatigue and burnout and I and I give all the credit for these definitions to Marie Halwachuk who is uh, has yep. a special interest in this topic and she's uh, consulting and help, helping veterinarians out there um, and uh, but a lot of people use those two interchangeably so the burnout is more of an ex- uh, an emotional exhaustion and depersonalizing from clients and pets uh, developing cynicism having a low um, sense of personal accomplishment and it's it kind of doesn't go away and it translates into personal life it's like this deep depression and dissatisfaction with what you do um, and the difference uh, between that and the compassion fatigue is that compassion fatigue comes from the repeated episodes of moral stress uh, that builds up and, and the moral energy to care for patients and clients. But it does go away if you're taking time off and if you're, you know, outside of the um, outside of the work environment. And it's quite similar to PTSD in, uh, in, as a post-traumatic distress uh, disorder. So those are the two terms that I like to uh, define. Uh, okay, that, that, that's interesting. So compassion fatigue and burnout are, are two distinct phenomena, uh, both of which seem to be prevalent within and across the veterinary professions. In terms of sort of monitoring and, and looking for the signs, are there signs that you yourself or, or a colleague might be at risk of burnout? So it, it, it's a tough one because that externally could look like any other sort of depression, sadness, and you know tiredness. And what I like to to do now is to look where the people are in their uh, environment, especially at work. That's a huge emphasis that we put on the actually on the consolidation management these days through better uh, integration solutions, as well as internally in the company. There's six well-known triggers. Of burnout, and if you uh, and there by Christina Maslat, who was sort of the uh, the mother of burnout, if you will, and she determined those, and those are very well documented in the literature. But if you see any of those in the organization, and and uh, and you're wondering if people are burned out or not, you can seek for these six triggers. And among them is a lack of control in your environment. So if you don't provide autonomy, or if you're micromanaging. Uh, value conflict. Uh, that's another one. If your values don't align with the organization that you work for, the continuous misalignment there can lead to burnout. Uh, 
uh, insufficient reward. So if people are um, continuously underpaid or just taken for granted for what they do. Um, and I've experienced that uh, actually now that I uh, look back at my personal experience with the burnout, that, that's been uh, always a thing where you're taking extra shifts, you're doing all you want, but you don't feel like you're appreciated for that. Yeah, Happens a lot to the night uh, emergency guys. Uh, then work overload. And that's, that's really the one that everybody thinks the burnout is. I'm doing too much work, but there's six of those things. So two more. Uh, unfairness, if there is a clear favoritism within the organization, as well as breakdown of the community. There's no feedback uh, loop. Um, and if there's no uh, framework for conflict resolution. So those are the six triggers that can predispose to burnout. And, and uh, what I'm doing right now with the consolidation clients as well as internally we're trying to continuously apply all our management strategies and methodologies against those triggers yeah because it seems as though a lot of those triggers are are external rather than coming from the person actually facing burnout a lot of it's the environment that they're in so do you think there is a a duty of care issue here from uh vetney employers and and what other key things you'd recommend them looking at or doing to uh, avoid putting their team members at risk of burnout. Well, that that's sort of what now became the the, the purpose and the passion in my uh, going forward career. I actually think that uh, the personal care and the um, the the self care and mindfulness and all those strategies of resilience that we're now learning and teaching veterinarians to have is only one part of it. And I truly sure. believe that as management, as industry in general. We can create an environment where if you consider these factors and provide the environment that avoids those triggers, it really is on us rather than on the veterinarians themselves to avoid burnout and uh, ultimately suicide in some instances. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the shocking statistic we're all confronted with, isn't it? Is just how high up vets rank in those in those suicide figures but it's not just vets is it i know from some of some of our previous discussions that veterinary technicians veterinary nurses also suffer with burnout yeah that was one of the findings of the uh, of the survey that we deployed because i wanted to find out how the industry uh well whether it is burned out or not and then and then because we interviewed anonymously all the members of the veterinary team, they were, uh, what, what came out, which was very interesting, is that nurses are actually more burned down than veterinarians. And you don't hear as much about it. There's all these initiatives to protect the veterinarians, to help the veterinarians. But I don't hear many of those that focus on the nurses. And if the statistics are right, I mean, we should be focusing on, on those professionals as much or more yeah i mean all too often overlooked and within within vets i mean i suppose i can see that there is within the service of animal welfare there is something of a culture of martyrdom of you know nothing is too much to ask when it comes to helping our patients and helping animals so i can see why uh, veterinary professionals would be prone to burnout but are there any particular categories of vets you know i'm thinking um age, gender, that sort of thing. Have you noticed any correlations there? So that, that was another finding that, that we had in our survey. And it, it, to me, again, it was quite, that one was actually even more surprising that it turns out that the veterinarians that are under 30 or in their um, early 30s 
they're more burned out than than the sort of baby boomers generations and that that's something that we've proven statistically do you have any sense as to why that is i mean you mentioned um sort of compensation insufficient reward do you think that's something to do with why the younger vets are are, are facing greater challenges or did you tease anything else out in in your survey I actually know because the finding was sort of incidental. I have my own hypotheses that are not necessarily supported by evidence, but but I don't actually think that insufficient reward is one of the highlights of that. Um, yeah. When when we're looking at the veterinarians that are that are younger right now, I think that it's more rooted into how we consume information, what are expectations of the balance between the. Uh, work and life. And I think that just younger generations are more prone to focus on work-life balance. And then, as you know, going through the vet school, you're going, you know, 150% full on uh, through the studies. And then when you get out, the I think that the expectation is out there that that's what you're going to be doing at work as well. And then those people that value their, their time off at all, a lot, then I don't think that they can really um, re- really exploit that post-university. Uh, and the other thing is that I think um, that with the amount of information that you have to consume uh, through the you know pre-vet and vet school, then you get to a certain point of velocity of, of goal achievement that is so high. And then when you get out in the field and start just day-to-day, you know, business as usual, apply the existing knowledge without more challenge, I think that that also leads to a depression in a way that I, I'm not challenged that much anymore. And that's, that's sort of the dilemma of millennials. You know how a lot of people talk about them yeah. that, uh, you know, uh, people are laughing about the fact that millennials don't feel appreciated mm-hmm. or I don't think it's that. I think it's, you know, if you look at the blonde studies by Maslow, I think that's that esteem portion that we're not challenging enough younger professionals with the goals and not setting the right goals is just show up do your work go home i think that after such a stimulation by the vet school they kind of get to this complete halt of the goal achievement in their life yeah i i think that's that's a really great point and also you spend all that time at university where you have this incredible community sort of ready-made community around you and then transitioning from that community to practice where you're trying to get up to speed with your with your new role and maybe you're you're you've started somewhere new you mentioned breakdown of community as a risk factor it sounds like that could be at play too that is too and again i i like to refer back to maslow but i think that the community in the way of the um and creating of community uh but by the what they mean in the um burnout triggers it's more about how you build the community not that you're disconnected from community but do you have a proper structure of social interaction within your new environment uh, can people give you direct feedback can they when there's conflict because conflicts happen all the time and then when you were you know studying how to treat a disease but then you get up front and someone is screaming at you for waiting for extra 10 minutes you just don't know how to deal with that stuff. So conflict resolution techniques and how to teach that, I think that's important aspect of um, of the practice that we just don't learn. Or how do you react to a family of the, you know, just euthanized pet that is, you know, crying in front of you and how to deal with grief. 
So there's there's a lot I think um, that is that is packed in there, and and I'm unfortunately not a specialist in all of those <laughs> areas of psychology, but I think all of that is taking a toll on the professionals. No, I, I fully agree, and especially in this time, in you know, in the context of a global pandemic, it makes sort of setting those structures that facilitate a sense of community all the more difficult and all the more challenging. So coming on to proposed solutions. You've always, for as long as I've known you anyway, you've been a complete geek when it comes to lean methodology. Uh, what makes you think it can help here? Well, there, there are several things. So lean was just the area that, you know, because of smart flow and because of how that perfectly sort of was laid over the, uh, the lean methodology and the whole theory of constraints and managing the bottlenecks, I, I was drawn to research that area. So in the literature research portion of my dissertation, that's what I did. I took lean and I researched the human health um, uh, field where they applied it successfully and, and many practices from there really were attractive. And specifically, I focused on looking at the lean principles rather than the tactics that were developed by John Tisson, who was, uh, who is the, um, he was the CEO of, uh, Thetacare, which is the Wisconsin, uh, healthcare association. And, um, so he implemented it there and then he developed and wrote a lot of articles about it and, and the success. But since then, um, we didn't chat since then, I think, uh, then I, I started looking further in the, into the management of consolidation and veterinary practices and what is more applicable to our domain. So we started adding more components um, and we added more. So lean, we added Kanban, we added uh, agile framework from the software management, but we applying those all directly against these triggers. But if we want to kind of zoom back at um, at the lean uh, principles and why they were so attractive to me, there's sort of a six main lean principles that they use in the healthcare. Before before we dive into the principles, Ivan, sorry to interrupt, but what just for those that are listening, not everyone's going to be super familiar with lean as as an idea. Could you just summarize, sort of give a brief overview of of what lean is, what it means to to operate in that way? So lean came came from Toyota. Uh, a lot of people heard probably about their lean management, and uh, in a way, uh, some of the principles uh, are eliminating waste, and that's why they call it lean. So everywhere in the production cycle, eliminating waste of waiting, waste of overproduction, waste of um, uh, time, and then also with the respect to people that are performing the work. And it was all to optimize the workflow. And that's why it sort of was so interconnected with smart flow. Uh, but it was applied in uh, manufacture and successfully and then many other verticals since then. And that's how it arrived sort of to uh, medicine and was converted into these principles that are more applicable to that space. Yeah, that, that, that's super helpful. So I can see in the context of, of burnout that, you know, you could use lean methodology to address work overload for example to to improve capacity through improving workflows where, where else do you see the impacts coming through well the, the most important that i see is the the principle of back for people that do the work because for the most part uh you know large businesses are um looking at the employees as the cog in the big mechanism but what lean principles bring out is the 
the communication and feedback loops with the people that are doing actual work. We were visiting um, San Francisco General Hospital, I think, and we, we were doing the lean for executives uh, over you there. And their CEO is doing a regular weekly walk around the hospital and checking in. It's called Gamba in lean methodology and, uh, and checking with the people that are doing actual work. And then everybody is um, empowered to do changes that will optimize work. So the uh, another term that is probably known to the audience, the Kaizen, which is which means continuous improvement, is uh, giving the power to people that do actual work to come up with the optimization to the work that they do. So it's really a continuous improvement culture as well. Gotcha. And yeah, you can see how that would address sort of uh, the feeling of a lack of control if you feel like you're being listened to and able to implement that change and maybe that improves alignment with your values. Yeah, I, I can certainly see how this all, it all feel, feeds into each other and, and can help us tackle burnout. For those that are listening and they want to learn more about lean methodology and how it could be applied to the context of a veterinary business, do you have any recommended resources? Yeah, so if you're looking at the um, at the level of the hospital, there was one book that was uh, published by Dr. Chip Ponsford. Uh, it's available on Amazon, I believe, for six bucks, uh, and it's called Lean Vets. Um, I think he did a really good job of describing uh, um, and creating the analogy of the of the organism uh, with all the systems in it to the uh, veterinary clinic and how it functions within the lean methodology. Interesting approach, and uh, I think that that does, you know, he did a good job describing that. So that's at the level of the hospital, uh, veterinary hospital. And if you want to look further into more sort of lean and other methodologies applied to a consolidation, is that something that we work on, then uh, I uh, selfishly will recommend visiting our website, which is vetintegrations.com. And we have interesting framework described there and a lot of free resources to just kind of research. It's an incredible resource. Looking at some of the frameworks you've come up with, what I like here, Ivan, is clearly, you know, the burnout, compassion fatigue, uh, mental health, all these things are very much front of mind for us in the veterinary, across the veterinary professions. Um, but it's nice to have sort of practical frameworks and approaches that we can take to actually address some of these issues rather than just talk around the issues. And so I, I'm very grateful for the work that you've done on this and grateful to you for, for joining us on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me.